This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 422 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Wutzko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 3-0 win in the first round of the DFB-Pokal against 1860 Munich. And we will preview Saturday's top Spiel against Bayer Leverkusen as the Bundesliga is finally back. For all that and more, joins me Lars Perlmann. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing like ice in the sunshine because I'm melting away. It's, <laughs> it's a sweltering day in... Western Germany, and I'm not a person that does well in heat, but what can one do? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe having an uh, AC, that helps. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Germany. We don't do that here. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's problematic. Uh, thankfully, we do have an AC here in the United States, so uh, that is helping me keep cool. Um, sadly, we do not have a sponsor for this episode, uh, but... Uh, in lieu of that, I would uh, invite everyone who is listening to subscribe to the Yellow Wall YouTube channel as I'm uh, now publishing uh, almost daily the B4B update to bring you news of the day and other shenanigans. So uh, please subscribe and of course watch. <laughs> uh, that would uh, help me out as well. Uh, if you want to sponsor a Yellow Wall pod episode, please go to our patreon.com slash the Yellow Wall for more information for 10 bucks a pop. You can uh, get a nice shout out at the start of our episodes. But Lars, uh, that should be it with housekeeping. And uh, time to finally dive right in into the action as Dortmund took down 1860 Munich in style. It was a very fun game to watch in my book. And uh, we had a first lineup. I don't know if it was surprising or not. I think uh, I assumed Dortmund maybe start with a back three. Uh, but it was a 4-2-3-1 system when you had Guerrero, Schlotterbeck, Süle and Meunier in the backline. So no Hummels. You had Dahoud and Bellingham in midfield. And then on the wings, you had Adeyemi and Marlin and Royce in the center. And up front, you had Mokoku. So, uh, Lars, what did you make of that lineup and uh, the game overall? I mean, uh, last week in our preview episode, we talked about our predicted lineups. And I think all three of us had them going with the back three. So certainly... A surprise to me, uh, I kind of thought perhaps um, going with the back three would also, you know, um, maybe allow them to evade that political drama of not starting Hummels in the first competitive match of the season. And now obviously with uh, Zulu picking up an injury, that problem has solved itself in a way. Um, but other than that, I think... Uh, you know, the lineup was positive, which I uh, liked, considering uh, you were playing against a third division team, uh, going with an out-and-out striker and, and, you know, more attacking wing play and, and all those things. I definitely think it made sense. And obviously they were proven right, basically from the get-go. I think it was certainly for the first 45 minutes an absolutely comprehensive performance and obviously a thoroughly deserved win. Um, I actually was very impressed with the first half, 
considering what I'd seen from preseason, which wasn't all that convincing. But once again, that goes to show you that preseason only matters <laughs> if you're doing well, I guess, I suppose. Um, so yeah, I mean, 3-0 could have been more, but uh, at the end of the day in the, in the cup, it's not about destroying your position as much as it is, especially in the first uh, round of the cup. It's just about getting through and also considering it's uh, held ahead of the Bundesliga start also to kind of use it as a bit of a another prep game. And in that sense, it, it also worked out. So all in all, outside of the uh, minor injury to Zula, I, I would say was pretty much a perfect first uh, round of the cup for Dortmund. Yeah, especially how crisp Dortmund looked. You know, uh, I, I think their game finished with like, what, 81% possession or so. So in the second half, they actually had even more of the ball. Uh, were even more dominant, even though they weren't pushing as hard. But uh, in the first half, I was really impressed by um, the cohesiveness of Dortmund, uh, by how they managed to regain possession once they lost it, because, I mean, they allowed one singular shot, and that was not on target. I think uh, the only thing Kobel had to do was, I think, uh, intercept one cross, one low cross into the box. Um, and uh, so... I thought that this looked already very good. Obviously, you don't know what this means for the next game against Leverkusen. Um, but as you just said, I think it's uh, always very reassuring if uh, the first round in the in the cup looks like that because it, it looked the team was ready uh, physically but also mentally because um, they were not letting up. They were not slumping around. There were very few occasions of sloppiness which obviously is always uh, heightened when you start the season. So I think that was extremely good to see. And uh, what I really liked, um, of course, we can talk about individual performances in a second. But um, I thought that Dortmund's attacking concept also looked quite quite crisp. I also enjoyed um, the switches of play that uh, preceded, uh, for example, the uh, second goal that Bellingham slotted in or the third, which was uh, Adeyemi's goal which uh, of course I think was a little bit offside and uh, of course the goalkeeper had there but more importantly the build-up to those two goals and uh, a couple of other chances um, happened with Dortmund switching the play from right to left and uh, sort of unlocking the opponent who were relatively deep lying that way I mean the first one I think was Adeyemi finding Schlotter back and he then passed it on to Guerrero uh, and I think there was then uh, the one-two with uh, Marlin and Royce later on and uh, then yeah Bellingham wide open in front of the net, which uh, is rare in uh, such a cup game. And the other one, of course, uh, I think it was Zulu who found Guerrero uh, from right to left. And then uh, a couple of seconds later, you had uh, Donia Mann storm through midfield and then find Adeyemi. And, uh, you know, a lot of space on, up there with a couple of overlords on the left side. So to me, that, that looked promising because it looked like Dortmund had a plan and managed to execute it as well. And uh, so in that regard... Um, looking ahead of uh, what's to come, I think this is very positive because there were not too many schemes, let's say, under uh, Marco Rose that I could uh, instantly highlight where I would say, okay, this, this and this is uh, stuff they did repetitively that uh, kept working out. Uh, obviously, the opposition uh, <laughs> starting Saturday will be a bit tougher, so we'll have to wait and see if I can still heap the same price on Dortmund, but for now, um, that was of course very encouraging. And last, uh, most importantly, I I think um, 
for us in terms of encouragement was probably the individual performance by Daniel Marlin. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think uh, Marlin's first season certainly was a bit underwhelming considering they signed him for 30 million, but I think there were also a number of mitigating circumstances which uh, we can take into account. I mean, obviously he was um, at the Euros in the summer, so had a bit late start. Um, definitely carried some extra weight in the first few weeks at Dortmund. Um, a lot of expectations, um, making him out to be this Sancho replacement, which he never was really in terms of playing style. Um, and then also, I think he just had a poor start in terms of performances, not scoring in his first few games. And there's always, <clears throat> uh, you know, sort of a conglomerate of reasons why a player doesn't work out immediately, especially coming from uh, an inferior league such as the Dutch Eredivisie. So I think it was always likely that Malen was going to have a, sec a better second season at Dortmund just by uh, acclimatization and all that. But I definitely think he also needs to be uh, lauded for quite obviously spending a lot of time doing the work uh, in the summer. I think he definitely um, is closer to ideal weight. I think we can fairly bluntly state that fact. He just looks much leaner, uh, much more agile on the first uh, couple of steps, which uh, was always his strength at PSV, I found, whenever I watched him there. And kind of the the first goal uh, uh, on Friday uh, against uh, 1860 was kind of uh, the thing that you expect from Marlin because, you know, the first step quickness, the decisive uh, shoot, shooting selection, and then the, the, the good ball placement, that's kind of the bread and butter finish of the type of player Marlin is, which is, you know, not necessarily the striker, but not also not, you know, your typical Dutch uh, white forward or whatever. So he's kind of a tweener in, in some senses and um, definitely encouraging signs early in the season. Uh, also considering that there's still, you know, the the question uh, looming ahead of everything, which is uh, who's going to replace the presumed uh, scoring output that Sebastian Allaire would have brought in. So... Uh, both Marlin and Adeyemi scoring in the first competitive match of the season is definitely a positive to take away from. Although I would say that Adeyemi, um, despite getting praised much in the same vein as Marlin by Terzic, in my opinion, had a somewhat weaker performance, just wasn't as involved. I think that might also have been down to the fact that uh, both right backs uh, of the opponent were quite poor and obviously Marlin's side was in in, in that sense, a bit easier to play on, I suppose. Um, but also, I mean, looking at Adeyemi's goal, he not only was offside, but also that should ne never have been a goal. So um, I think there's definitely more room for improvement, uh, you know, from week to week now for Adeyemi than for Malen, who, if that's the baseline for the season, uh, should be in for, a, you know, a very strong campaign. Yeah, it was funny that he <laughs> really cooked Christopher Lennart, the starting right back for 1860, uh, who had a, a booking after 12 minutes and had to come off uh, for <laughs> another right back. I think that was not injury related. So um, to me, 
that was kind of fun to see and obviously um, you know really spoke to the fact how dangerous Marlon was in this game and how many problems uh, he dealt to uh, the hosts and uh, obviously uh, if we talk about Dutchman obviously I often think of Ian Robin and his torment uh, of Borussia Dortmund <laughs> But uh, if we talk about signature moves, Robben was always to cut inside from the right and then uh, scoring in the far corner most of the time. But uh, for Marlon, it's it's almost the opposite as he cuts in from the left uh, to the right and then finishes uh, into the short corner, uh, preferably with a daisy cutter. And the opening goal that he scored uh, could have not been placed any better. The way it ping-ponged between the posts and then into the net, to me, it's just uh, footballing poetry. What a beautiful goal. Um, I'm a sucker for uh, near post goals, <laughs> so uh, in in that case, I'm I'm very happy that uh, he uh, aimed correctly there because I think Marlon often uh, <laughs> manages to hit the post. So in in this case, um, yeah, very much appreciated. Um, but I do think we need to uh, also briefly talk about uh, Yusuf Mokoko, who of course. Uh, yeah, sort of replaced Sebastian Alea, if you want to say that, <laughs> because Alea, of course, hasn't featured yet for Dortmund. Um, but uh, yeah, he was a little bit criticized by the likes of uh, Ronach reporters and whatnot, saying that he only had seven touches in the first half and 17 overall, that his involvement wasn't the best. And obviously, um, I can't argue much against that, but I still thought he had a relatively decent game. Obviously, uh, you know, room for improvement is there. Um, but going forward, uh, maybe are already with a look to what the Leverkusen game, if we want to transition a little bit here. Um, what do you make of uh, his performance and situation? I always think that people kind of misunderstand the type of player Mukoko is, uh, quite possibly uh, stemming from watching him at the youth level, where he just uh, dominated everyone and everything. But also maybe due to, you know, his, his size and, and, uh, body shape and whatever, people seem to think that he must be this, uh, you know, roaming striker, very involved because his technique is quite decent, but, uh, and, and he's not as tall as most, uh, you know, quote unquote number nines are. But I definitely think, uh, Mukoko is, you know, a finisher, uh, someone who's not going to be, super involved in, in build-up and layoffs and whatever. He's going to uh, get on the end of things and he's going to take his shots. And even uh, in, in this game where he was relatively quiet with, uh, I, I think you said, 17 touches, uh, that was still enough to uh, have two or three uh, shots or at least decent opportunities to shoot. And, you know, whenever that happens... Um, that's a pretty good indicator of a player uh, who's maybe one or two uh, goals away from starting a streak because uh, we know the quality that th this kid has um, from, you know, both obviously the youth ranks, which doesn't necessarily tell us too much, but also from glimpses that he's shown uh, at the, the Bundesliga level. So I'm not in the camp of uh, critici criticizing him too much. I think we also have to take into account that he hasn't played much in the last few months. Um, I think most of his minutes in the last six months or so came uh, at the uh, German under-21 level where he also scored quite a bit. So I think uh, a bit of um, relaxation almost is in order. You know, he's 
right now he's the only true striking option they have. So um, in that sense, he's going to presumably get minutes uh, again against Leverkusen. And then we have to take uh, or wait and see what happens on the transfer market. I think we can safely assume that something is going to happen next week after uh, what uh, Watzke, for example, said. You know, he gave a time frame of eight to ten days, uh, at least one of which has already passed now. So, <laughs> yeah, full what's the quotes in the BVB update if you want to listen to it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly when he gave this interview, so I'm kind of assuming it's still a time frame of let's say seven days. So, at some point next week, they are presumably going to uh, announce uh, the signature of another striker, but uh, that that might be someone who hasn't even been in uh, regular team training uh, for the last few weeks uh, if they go with uh, you know a free agent uh, like some Cavani <laughs> yeah so, other guys like that so I think it's safe to say that Mukoko is going to be the preferred option for quite some time now and I think that's uh, something to look forward to because as I said if 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 that kind of player gets on a bit of a scoring streak um, that's something that uh, I think um, yeah we can look forward to because uh, I think from a pure um, you know finishing perspective uh, Mukoko is actually a bit underrated yeah no I, I totally agree with you and uh, I'm looking forward to his exploits this season obviously they're still hovering the cloud of his uh, Stalling contract ext extension because Dortmund, of course, uh, wants him to put pen to paper and the reports are that he has a signable contract right in front of him, but uh, for now he's stalling uh, and in a sort of wait-and-see approach. Uh, I don't know what else to say about this really, but uh, obviously I can understand uh, his perspective. I think uh, some people are sort of uh, alleging that uh, they're asking for too much money, which might well be the case, I don't know. Um, but I, I hope it will get resolved sooner rather than later because, of course, he's a massive talent and it would uh, be a shame if Dortmund lose him uh, as he sort of turns 18. But uh, that all being said, I, I think uh, we should quickly just send to get will soon manage to Sebastian Allaire, who uh, sadly was diagnosed with a malignant uh, testicular tumor. And uh, so now we'll have to undergo chemotherapy, which, of course, is uh, not news you want to hear so from Lars and myself get will soon Sebastian and uh, I think with that we can segue to the Leverkusen match on Saturday it will be the late kickoff the top spiel whatever you want to say Leverkusen of course finished third overall last season 64 points behind uh, <laughs> 64 on 64 points five points behind Dortmund I I wish it were 60 point 64 points this time around um and uh, I think they, if I remember correctly, finished first or second in the Rückrundentabelle. I think they were level on points with RB Leipzig and there was like a goal difference. And of course, uh, the last game between those two sides was a very embarrassing 2-5 defeat uh, at home uh, for Dortmund. Uh, but speaking of embarrassing results, Leverkusen did lose their first round cup match against Elversberg, uh, who are a third division team. Uh, I think the final score was 3-4. And uh, as in terms of personnel, uh, Bayer Leverkusen are still without Wirtz, who is still recovering from his ACL tear or uh, whatever ligament tear it was. I think it was ACL, but maybe also an LCL. Whatever uh, the case may be, he is not going to be available 
uh, on Saturday uh, for Dortmund. I assume Charlie Oerscham will be out. Uh, Eden Tessic said at today's news conference that um, he is sort of ramping up training, but, uh, you know, he missed the whole training camp in Bad Ragaz with Bruce. And um, I assume maybe if he's included in the squad, he might feature on the bench, but I, I don't really uh, have high hopes. Obviously, out are also uh, Gio Reyna and uh, Matteo Moret, just because uh, they're still not entirely fit yet. And Tom Roto and Felix Paslak are also sidelined next to Alea. I don't think I've forgotten anyone. Oh, yeah, of course, uh, Niklas Dule, uh, which, of course, is uh, problematic, uh, Lars. And I think maybe one of the reasons if Dortmund uh, lose this game, why they lose it. Um, because, you know, I'm not feeling comfortable with Mats Hummels going into any sprint duel against Diaby or uh, Bellarabi or uh, the likes of that. And, uh, of course, uh, Leverkusen have a very stacked offense. So um, it's going to be... Quite the litmus test uh, on match day one. Uh, what are your hopes and expectations for that game? Well, first of all, um, I don't think it matters much if it's Hummels or Süle or Schlotterbeck or Akanji. Uh, no centre back um, will look good in a sprinting duel with uh, Diaby. Well, but Maybe. it's all still relative, right? There are certain... Uh, I mean... It, some it, can it, recover better uh, than others, let's just say. Yeah. Only if it matters by how much they're beaten in a sprint. I mean, it <laughs> um, doesn't really make a difference. Uh, just changes a bit the, I guess, approach. And But I, I, I always think it's a bit overblown to always talk about uh, speed deficiency when it comes to Hummels. I mean, he's not close to being the only centre-back in the Bundesliga who's not fast. And uh, he's made quite a decent career out of uh, or with his shortcomings and limitations. So I think he can manage and I think he's shown enough uh, that he can manage these things. I Plus think. he's in better shape than in a long time, I would say. Yeah, and also uh, they still have Schotterbeck who has more pace, um, who's also more aggressive who can maybe take on some of those uh, responsibilities in, you know, last line defense or whatever. So uh, to make uh, the assumption that if they lose, it's going to be because Niklas Zul is out <laughs> is, is kind of giving Zul a bit too much credit after 45 competitive minutes at Dortmund, I would say. So, uh, Fair enough. <laughs> the, the, game, the game itself, I obviously didn't watch Leverkusen lose against, I think, a promoted side into the third division in Elversberg. Um but I did watch highlights and it was kind of, uh, I mean, in one sense, they also were quite kind of unlucky because they had enough chances to score six or seven goals themselves. I think one of their goals, just like Dortmund's, was uh, a clear goalkeeping error from uh, Elversberg's goalkeeper. Yeah, Nikita Mazepin. <laughs> yeah, I didn't find uh, he looked like him whatsoever then. I don't do now, but regardless. Um <laughs> Leave me I alone. I, the, I think he looks from behind the same way. It's just a haircut. But yeah, from the front, you're probably right. The the thing that was surprising in a way is how uh, instable um, Leverkusen's defense looked. I mean, uh, even uh, Elversberg, who scored four goals, were quite, probably a bit unlucky not to have scored more. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I watched, uh, I guess, 70 minutes or so after 20 minutes. <laughs> I decided to tune in and uh, let me tell you, Leverkusen were not 
coherent or cohesive or whatever you, you call it whatsoever. Fring Pong had an absolute shambolic performance. He was outplayed. He was frustrated. He got out hustled too. It just over overall it, it just looked completely uh discombobulated to be honest. So I don't know what else to say last, but uh if Leverkusen replicate that sort of performance, they're going to lose by seven in Dortmund. I mean, even, you know, set pieces and all. I mean, obviously set pieces are kind of the great equalizer in these cup games because it's not that difficult to whip a ball in and go up for a header. Uh, but I mean, that was like headless chicken. I mean, it, it almost reminded me of some of Dortmund's worst defense over the last <laughs> few years, which, which is never a good sign for any team. So, I mean, I don't know what was going on there because obviously a lot of the talk this season uh, about Leverkusen not having much turnover, uh, keeping Schick, even extending his contract uh, with Lewandowski and, and Haaland gone. A lot of people are talking about Patrick Schick as a potential uh, golden boot winner. Um, and and, and they, they kept Wirtz, they kept Diaby, so there was a lot of optimism about Leverkusen having one of their stronger seasons uh, once again uh, after their uh, return to the Champions League after a couple of years, and 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 they showed absolutely nothing of that in in a cup tie, uh, which wasn't even as difficult as Dortmund's on paper. I mean, eighteen uh, sixty were uh, fourth in the third division last season, and as I said, I think Elversberg were promoted into the third division this season, and also it was a game on. I want to say Saturday around noonish or whatever, or maybe it was in the afternoon. So it wasn't, you know, floodlights, uh, uh, hot atmosphere at, at uh, a, a historic ground in Munich uh, and people believing in a sensation. I think not a lot of people will have gone to uh, see Elversberg uh, versus Leverkusen and, and thought about, uh, hey, today we are going to eliminate a Champions League side Whereas I'm sure that was uh, uh, thought a lot of fans of uh, 1860 on on Friday. So I don't know what happened there. Maybe that was kind of the the warning shot at the right time for Leverkusen, and they're going to turn up, uh, you know, all guns blazing on on Saturday up, uh, evening. But it's it's definitely um, for me at least changed a bit the perception of what Leverkusen might be able to do this season because. It's always a bad sign when a team that is so highly rated comes out of the gates so slowly and, and has problems in the game that they just can't have these problems in. I mean, if Leverkusen uh, get pumped by Dortmund, I guess that can happen because Dortmund, even without an out, not, or, you know, a, a proven goal scoring striker, I mean, individual quality in this tie is still uh, going to Dortmund, I would say, if you look at it head to head. Um, but, you know, you, you can't drop out of the cup in the first round and expect me to believe in your having a strong season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a bit of an overreaction Thursday, <laughs> maybe, because uh, it, it's only one game and uh, they can uh, fix things, maybe. But uh, then again, I'm much more comfortable with the performance that Dortmund showed in the cup, uh, thinking that they're ready for Saturday. Uh than Leverkusen, who were hyped very much. I uh, think Derek Ray in his ESPN preview uh, predicted them finishing ahead of Dortmund. So, um, yeah, we'll see about that, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. The, the problem is Leverkusen, of course, uh, do have a lot of pace up front. They 
um, know how to defeat Dortmund as they've shown in the last game by uh, sort of, uh, you know, playing on the counterattack. And uh, maybe they'll do that again. Uh, you know, it's still the same coach, so he might still apply the same game, game plan. I don't know, but um, at, on the other hand, uh, there's also a lot of euphoria in Dortmund and Dortmund on opening day uh, has pumped a lot of teams in recent years, even if the rest of the season then didn't go so well. I think there was like a 6-1 against Gladbach or so, and uh big result was a 5-2 against Leverkusen last season or so. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about this game. Um, last, of course, we already talked about the centre-back situation, but Ilin uh, Tessic today was asked about a potential back three, and he said that... Uh, Koulibaly and Emre Can are also capable as uh, slotting in as a third defender, which, uh, you know, makes me jump to the conclusion that uh, Manuel Akanji and I guess in the same breath we can say uh, Nico Schulz will both uh, be excluded from the squad because uh, they are still sort of on the for sale list. Uh, what do you make of that? Should Dortmund or Terzic rather uh, include Akanji into the matchday squad uh, because of his qualities that he clearly has or do you think this is the right way to treat this and handle the situation? I'm not necessarily convinced Akanji wants to be included in the matchday squad. Uh, he hasn't played a single minute of preseason football um, and they just made this decision that he's not going to feature so I don't think uh, you know one centre-back being out would change anything about that. I think we've definitely seen, even if uh, some of us aren't the uh, biggest fans of Emil John, that he can put on uh, put in a, a decent shift as a makeshift center half, especially in a back three. I think you can mask some of the uh, lack of uh, perhaps you know natural instincts for that position because he's obviously been uh, a defensive midfielder uh, for most of his uh, footballing life. Um, so yeah, I think the the uh, interesting thing is what happens if Akanji is still at Dortmund on September the second when the transfer window is slammed shut in uh, Germany and all the other relevant uh, European leagues. I think then you can certainly make the case that okay, he's going to stick around at least until January. You might as well use him uh, also because if you don't and you put him uh, in the stands, that's not going to help his his uh, market value. And also, I think you can be pretty certain uh, that. Akanji is going to perform well because obviously he wants to be starting center for Switzerland at the World Cup. Um, and uh, that's not going to happen if he doesn't play for Dortmund for half a year. So I think that's the more interesting question. I think Schulz, regardless, has played his uh, last game at Dortmund. Um, don't, don't see any reason or way for him back into the team. But yeah, um, for, for Saturday... I would be absolutely shocked to see any changes in, in regards to Akanji and, and Schulz. And um, I also think, by the way, that Salio Özcan is going to be in the squad because, um, you know, they have 20 men in the matchday squad these days. They don't need 20, so uh, it certainly makes more sense to include him over uh, Abdul Kamara or, you know, other young guys who are not going to feature anyway. If if Özcan can give you 10 minutes, uh, that I think is more valuable than uh, bringing a 17-year-old who's never played in, in the first team. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll even say uh, the likes of Reynald Moray on the bench just because <laughs> just because he can, if, if that makes sense. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised by that. One last thing I wanted to address real quick is that uh, I've seen a lot of reports from, I think, Sky and uh, Watz um, that uh, Dortmund aren't planning with uh, Julian Brandt and uh, that they might want to sell him or uh, if he gets the right offer that he can leave and whatnot. Um, on the one hand, I um, understand that sentiment, uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't think those are really reports. I've seen it from uh, sort of uh, English language uh, outlets uh, sort of uh, parroted that those were reports. Uh, I think this is more of an opinion or analysis or conclusion or whatever you want to call it. And um, I personally... and. It might, it might not affect you at all, Lars, but I personally am a little peeved to see these kinds of reports. Yes, obviously he was <laughs> excluded uh, uh, from uh, uh, the substitutes uh, in the game against 1860 Munich. And so I think, uh, for example, Bino Gittens came on, whatnot. But uh, first of all, have you seen the season schedule? And second of all, uh, Julian Brandt had an okay, decent uh, last season and he still has a certain amount of quality. Um, obviously, uh, for a role player, he's overpaid. I understand that point. But, um, you know, it, it just annoys me a little bit uh, that, you know, there's one game played and you already have these kinds of uh, articles out. I, I think it's it's a bit of a knee-jerk and uh, I, I think people should cut it out. That's That's all. I don't know what your thoughts are on this. Maybe you'll agree with what I said or disagree. I don't think they are going to sell him. I don't think there's necessarily a huge market for him. And I also think it doesn't necessarily make the most sense to sell a player who's been very productive, even if uh, quite frustrating over his tenure at Dortmund. I don't think he's uh, among the highest paid players uh, at Dortmund, uh, seeing as he came from Leverkusen, who don't pay uh, top dollar in the Bundesliga, if uh, you want to say that. So... Um, I can understand some of the logic in saying uh, that Terzic sees him as pretty much a pure number 10 uh, because he doesn't have the pace to play on the wings. I can I can get behind that, but then you can say that both uh, Reiner and Reus uh, A, have quite the injury history already, uh, and B, they are quite versatile, especially Reiner. I could easily see him play three different roles in... in couple of different systems so uh if if you want to uh in in air quotes get rid of uh someone because of uh wages that are too high or whatever i think you could more easily look at uh Torkan Azar for example uh who's been available less often than Brandt and who's been less uh, productive than Brandt even if uh from a pure positional profile, perhaps Azar makes more sense to keep around because he's a winger. But then again, I would argue that right now I would probably rather have Brandt play out of position on the wing than play Azar. So, uh, but definitely I do agree that, you know, after one game and 90 minutes, uh, it's a bit of a knee jerk situation. I think there's a case to be made that Brandt would have even started if, for example, Dahoud couldn't have played because right now they don't uh, have too many options in central midfield, especially ball-playing options in central midfield uh, outside of Dahoud. So I think uh, this is typical for this time of the year and especially with Brandt being a bit of a polarizing figure among among fans and among 
media critics because everyone knows that he should be one of the best players Germany has to offer right now, but for, uh, I guess, personality reasons or character reasons. Uh, Just doesn't have that dog in him, Lars. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it sounds kind of dumb when you say it like that, but I think there's uh, always something to it when uh, we talk about mentality or character or whatever, I think. If you look at the natural talent of Julian Brandt, he should not be at Dortmund at the age of 26 uh, or 27 or however old he is. So uh, I think from from that perspective, I can understand that he's an easy target to make rumors about, but I don't foresee him going anywhere uh, in the next, what is it, three and a half weeks or so. Yeah, no, uh, totally agree with everything you just said. And uh, I think with this, we can sort of conclude uh, our preview. Now, obviously, we still have to make predictions. And uh, first of all, I just want to say I'm excited about this game. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the season overall. I think uh, the vibes are pretty good, uh, despite uh, the uh, sad uh, Alea news. And uh, yeah, I I think the first game against 1860 Munich uh, was promising. So, you know, that allowed me to look forward to the next game and uh, I think it's going to be a shootout. I, I think uh, this is uh, obviously the most obvious and unsurprising prediction you can come up with, uh, especially since Leverkusen uh, with uh, Hadetsky and uh, Frimpong and Ta and Tapsoba and Tenkapi uh, do not have the best uh, backline. I think Andrich and Demirbay, um are okay-ish uh, in midfield, but uh, also a bit of a mismatch uh, against Bellingham and uh, Dahul, I assume, will play. Um, I also assume that Dortmund will stick to a back four, just because I think even if you stick Jan in there, um, the preseason tests have not convinced me that Dortmund can sufficiently uh, avoid uh, screwing up their offside trap. So in, in that regard, I, I'm hoping rather for a back four, because I just think uh, even if the back five makes a bit more sense on paper, uh, I just think the execution will lack a little bit here and there. So um, that is sort of my my take. Uh, I would not complain if Dortmund just played the same 11. Uh, they played against um, 1860 Munich, of course, with the exception of Niklas Süle, who was out, and uh, then slot Hummels in, who uh, looked fine. So, um, yeah, that being said, I think my goal line, uh, my, goal line, my uh, scoreline prediction is going to be uh, for the three for Dortmund. What is yours, Lars? Well, my first prediction is that my prediction will not take as long as yours. <laughs> um, I will say uh, that we should at least mention once in this episode that it's the first time Edin Terzic gets to uh, coach in front of a full-capacity crowd at Dortmund. Yes. Uh, and also because of that, because he definitely deserves it for uh, you know cup heroics from uh, one year and a bit ago, um, it's going to be a three-two win to Dortmund. Yeah, I'll take it. I I think you know maybe four goals is a bit much because I also need to stress that I think Dortmund will be far more inefficient in front of goal than they were last season, and I think it's going to be a little bit annoying. So I need to factor that one in. So maybe 3-2 is the wiser prediction here. But I'm just going to stick with my 4-3. Absolute pandemonium havoc prediction. And uh, obviously, uh, I'm not going to be happy about that, even if Dortmund win, because three goals uh, are three goals, and conceding those uh, will be painful, especially when uh, 
you want to upgrade your uh, defensive prowess. And uh, with that, uh, I think our eyes will be on what Dortmund do collectively as they defend against Leverkusen, because this is what bit them too many times last season. But um, yeah, enough waffling on. As always, Lars, thank you for coming on and uh, co-hosting. <laughs> uh, so uh, please tell listeners, uh, if you want, uh, how to uh, follow you on Twitter. Uh, in the words of Fernando Alonso, I don't want. <laughs> all right, fair enough. You can follow me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. You can follow all of us at Yellow Wall Pod. You can, of course, uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Yellow Wall on YouTube, uh, where you can also find the B4B update along with this podcast, which you also can find on every other uh, podcasting outlet. And if you do miss one, then just... Uh, Drop me a DM on Twitter or uh, shoot us an email at yellowwallpod at gmail.com and I shall try to rectify. And uh, yeah, I hope everyone out there uh, is pumped for the new season. And uh, yeah, that's all I have. So <laughs> thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>